Hi, and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. And today, another terrific author and a story of a, a most amazing Australian who you will uh, no doubt have heard about, uh, but now you can read about uh, some of the stories behind this remarkable lady. A little bit more on that shortly. But of course, thanks to our fabulous podcast partners, that's CSCG. It's Christmas. You're setting all your goals and what you want to do for 2023, uh, both personally and professionally. Well, it might be time to look at it financially as well. It's a very important part of everything that we do. And the team at CSCG can most certainly help you in all areas, whether it's superannuation, whether it's insurance, whether it is uh, bookkeeping, whatever it is, they can help you in the financial realm. Uh, give them a call. Have a chat. Double nine seven four. 8333 is the telephone number or jump on the website and find out who you're dealing with have a look at all the services they have and they've got them all uh, it's as simple as cscg.com.au they're terrific people they wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and they hope to hear from you to help you achieve your financial goals in 2023 now to our book today which is called Under Her Skin it is the story the remarkable story of uh, the 2005 Australian of the Year Fiona Wood. Uh, Fiona most recently, of course, uh, was played by Rachel Griffith in the uh, miniseries about the Bali bombings. And that's when, I guess, many of us first found out about Fiona Wood and the amazing work that she was doing with spray on skin and the groundbreaking work she was doing in the field of working with burn victims. Uh, and the Bali bombing certainly brought uh, that home to roost for us all. Uh, Sue Williams has written a terrific book about her, uh, spent a lot of time with her and uh, and her family and uh, the people that worked with her and around her. So uh, it's a great insight into this uh, remarkable human being. Uh, so let's talk to the lady who put it all together and why she put it all together and how it all came together. That's author Sue Williams. How did you decide to uh, to choose Fiona? Because, I mean, she's, uh, well, I mean, the accolades, you know, Australian of the Year, National Treasure, all those things. How, how did you how did you come together and, and get together with uh, Fiona to do, to do the book? Well, it's interesting. I looked at my computer the other day and the f- first time I wrote to her and said, please, Fiona, I'd love to write your biography, <clears throat> was actually 17 years ago, <laughs> in 2005. That was my first letter to her. Oh, wow. And she wrote back and said, look, thank you very much, but no thank you. I'm far too busy and I don't feel that, you know, I want a biography written. So then I wrote to her every year, um, just around Christmas every year, saying, no, no, I think now is the time, now is the time. And every time she'd say no. But I just thought she was such an amazing person. I mean, like most people, I first came across her during just after the Bali bombings. And you kind of see this person you know, really working so hard to save lives and really treat the survivors incredibly well. And she sort of seemed like the calm centre of the storm, really. And I thought, well, you know, who is this woman? And then you kind of look into her further. And she's got a really interesting background. And she's, you know, this incredible successful surgeon who's also invented spray-on skin, which has been an amazing invention, which has gone worldwide. And she also has six children at the same time. You think... (laughs) My God, I really want to get to know this woman. <laughs> uh, so yeah. the rejection is something that writers are very used to, um, but, but usually not from <laughs> the people. Right. Usually not from the people they want to write about. Usually it's from the people they uh, submit the books to. So how did you? That's how did you finally right. get her to agree to to do it? You know, when you approach somebody and you say to them, "Can I write your biography?" Usually people say, "Yes, I'd love to." You know, they're really flattered, and most people really want to get their name out there. But Fiona's very different. She's incredibly humble and uh, that's kind of a real enemy for a biographer really but I kind of wrote to her always all these times and then finally in between lockdowns um, during the COVID lockdowns 
I kind of thought, you know, I really, it would be a fantastic time to do that book. Surely, I mean, she's usually jetting off around the world, going to conferences and, you know, presenting her research in various places. She's obviously grounded in Perth. I was in Sydney. And I thought, well, maybe this is the right time to approach her because she can't have too much else on. <laughs> so in between the lockdowns, I went over to Perth and I met with her assistant and I gave her a, a big pile of books. I mean, I'd been regularly sending my books over to Fiona anyway. And I said to her, look, you know, the 20th anniversary of the Bali bombing is coming up. This, this would be, you know, an excellent time really to, to write a book. And I managed to get her assistant on side and then her assistant worked on Fiona and finally, Fiona, quite reluctantly, I think, <laughs> agreed. So finally, we got there. So it was it was an amazing moment when she finally said yes. But then, of course, because of COVID, um, we did all our interviews over Zoom. And um, I didn't meet her until after we'd finished the book. But I kind of felt like I knew her really, really well from having spent so much time on Zoom with her, really. It was kind of an odd period. Was she a hard nut to crack uh, to get her to open up about uh, her life? Yes, she was. Um, she, I mean, when she talks about her research, she becomes incredibly animated and she's really excited and she wants to tell you everything about skin and the kind of work she's doing because she talks about healing people inside and out because as well as trying to make the scars much better, you know, her aim has always been scarless healing. She's discovered that when people receive bad burn injuries, it kind of changes their whole physiology, you know, their mental health, and everything, you know, it has kind of knock on effects all around their body. So when she talks about that, she's very open and she wants to tell you everything she's doing. But when it comes to her personal life, she's actually, well, she's not secretive, but she really doesn't like talking about it. And it was only when I started writing the book and I started. I decided the best way was probably talking to other people as well about her. I talked to her mum in England. I talked to her um, family. I talked to her friends. I talked to people who'd known her back. You know, she came, She comes from England originally. So I talked to people back at her school and at her university and at St. Thomas's where she trained in London. And kind of then I kind of got a really good picture of her. And I was able to go back to her and say, what about this incident? Or, what about this time? And then, of course, she was forced to open up, really. So it was kind of a bit of a struggle in some ways, but the results really made it worth it. You mentioned the uh, 20th anniversary of the Bali bombings, and and, uh, with that there's been a a rash of stories uh, in the papers and magazines in in recent times, and the the book's obviously added to that as well. Uh, And there's Mm. also just been a a four-part TV miniseries in which Rachel Griffith plays Fiona in that, Uh, and we've Mm. learned learned a whole lot of things about it. One thing I learned about in reading all the the stuff before I got to the book was that um, her husband uh, is such a private person, he wouldn't talk to you for the book. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. But at the time of the Bali bombings, her profile was rising so high. Um, they kind of had a little family meeting and decided how were they going get, to get through this because she was quite uncomfortable in the public spotlight but realised that she had to go out there and talk because as well, she, you know, she, she, she wanted people to know what was happening and people were genuinely interested in you know, the plight of the, the Bali survivors and how they were doing all the time. So the family had a little conference and then they decided, her husband said, well, look, how about if I stay out of the limelight completely and that gives you a great place to retreat to when you just don't want any more public attention. 
so that's that's the pact they made. So he he yes, he didn't want to be interviewed for the book, although I know an awful lot about him as a result of other uh. people talking. <laughs> and um, but he he re- retains his privacy really. I mean, he's another surgeon in Perth as well, and um, he he just provides this this quiet place for for the whole family to to retreat to when all the attention gets too much. And I mean, maybe that's a really good way of dealing with all the publicity. I mean. I've still yet to meet him. One day, I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like he doesn't exist in in some ways, isn't it? But I know he does, but it's almost like he's uh, he's sort of you know it's into the into the shadows that she steps. That's right, absolutely. And, and you know, their love story is an amazing story. You know, they they met in, in, at St Thomas's where they were both training in London as, as doctors, and um, within three weeks they were married. They fell in love immediately. So it's kind of a lovely story. But when when they fell in love and he asked her to marry him, he said there is one condition. I'm, you know, he's Australian. He said at one point I I will want to go back and live in Australia, and she kind of didn't really think much about it. But then a couple of years on, she had um, they had two children by that stage. You know, one was a toddler and the other one was a baby. He said no, I think the time is right now to go back to Australia, and she couldn't really argue with it because. She'd agreed as part of the contract of the marriage. Yeah. So that's why she ended up in Australia as well. She came over here, I think, in 87. And, um, yeah, it's to our, to, to our benefit, really, that she's here. Fantastic. So, I mean, t- Tony was a really important person in terms of getting her over here, really. So, you know, we, we've got a lot to be grateful for him. And uh, maybe he deserves be out of the spotlight really. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bali obviously will be what defines uh, Fiona for, for so many people but there's so much more to, to what she's done and what she's doing uh, with her life and, and with her work. Absolutely uh, because before the Bali bombing she was involved in, I, I don't know if you remember there was a terrible Piper Alpha disaster in Britain on the oil rigs just off the north coast of Britain um, and lots of people died when um, a fire started, there was an explosion, something went wrong and it was a terrible tragedy and nobody in Britain was ready for it and so over in Western Australia they started thinking well if there's something like that happens to, you know, with the petrol company Woodside um, what could we do? So they started organising mock exercises if there was a big Burns tragedy in Australia, how would everybody cope? How would everyone come together all across the, the country? And Fiona was at the epicentre of that, and she'd kind of planned how everyone would come together. So they had the big exercise Icarus in 2001, and then, of course, Bali happened. So they were really ready. They, were, they knew where they were going to evacuate people to. They knew they were going to bring people to Darwin, then send them over to Perth, and then to Sydney, and then to Adelaide. They kind of they had this amazing um, template in place already. So I think that was that was pretty amazing that she would be looking that far ahead and had that kind of foresight. So as well as, you know, obviously treating all the Bali survivors, she she was kind of ready and she was at the at the centre of this this amazing mass op- exercise to to help everybody really. And of course there was her spray on skin that she had invented a few years before where she grows people's own skin cells and then sprays their skin back on them to make the healing much quicker and um, the scars much less um, extreme. And, I mean, with those kind of inventions and with her expertise, I mean, in the old days, if people had 
a burn of about 30% of their body. That was kind of considered fatal. But these days you can have really terrible burns to a huge percentage of your body and you can still live. I mean, it's just we've come an awful long way. And I'd never really thought about burns so much before, but they always say that burns are are the marathon of medicine because burns injuries take a long, long time to heal and a long, long time to treat and take really delicate surgery and, you know, in extreme conditions. And burns injuries are absolutely horrific. Oh, um, yeah. So many things can go wrong as well. So, I mean, it's fantastic to have a woman like that in charge who, who knows so much about this kind of area of medicine. You mentioned the spray on skin, which uh, for, uh, in its time there, uh, when, the, when the Bali bombing happened, it was a controversial one because she was using it and other doctors around the country who had uh, various uh, patients flown into them in, in different cities weren't using it and wouldn't use it. Uh, and in fact, we're, mm. we're actually critical of her for, do, for using it as if she was self-promoting. Yep, that's right. Because she'd, inv- she'd actually invented the spray on skin in 1993, yep. which was quite a long time before Bali. But they were saying, well, there haven't been clinical trials. She's experimenting with Bali survivors and she shouldn't be doing that. Whereas she was saying, well, I've been using it for years and years and years now and it's working incredibly well. And she was looking, I think, at other um, Burns patients who were being treated in the rest of the country and saying, well, really, you should be using this spray on skin because it would really be helping them. But doctors were saying, no, no, it hasn't gone through all the other clinical trials and, you know, you're irresponsible to be experimenting. So it became a huge controversy and I think it hurt her very deeply. I mean, she talks for the first time in the book about um, how hard she found this. And when I was talking to other people, um, they were kind of saying, you know, there can be a lot of professional jealousy within the medical world. Um, It was difficult because she was a woman. It was difficult because she was a woman and a mother. So people didn't really take her terribly seriously. And other people were trying to work on similar kind of growing skin cells and putting them back on, on, onto people's bodies. And they were angry that she'd kind of got there first. So, so you know, it's, it's kind of, you think of the medical world all coming together to find the best results for, for everybody. But in fact, you know, they're just like the rest of us, I suppose. They're just still vying for um, money and grants and research grants yeah. and um, public attention and acclaim. So, you know, maybe there was a bit of, of jealousy there as well. Um, but unfortunately, that kind of coloured a lot of her time after the Bali bombings. I think it hurt her very much. There's, a, there's a, I guess, a defining moment to when, when one of the patients and, and of the 28 that came into Perth, uh, three of them died. And there's a sort of defining mm-hmm. moment that you describe in the book uh, when one of those patients died. It kind of sums her up in many ways, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. I mean, she she was devastated by each person that she lost, really, but she kind of decided that she had to keep going for everybody else, and it was kind of selfish to, to become involved in her own grief because, really, the grief of the family and the friends who had lost somebody was so much more deep than her own grief. And she decided it would just be self-obsessive, really, just to, to become so distressed herself. But... um. And, and so that kind of made her even more determined to do her best for everybody else. But it's interesting because whenever I've been into hospital, it might be the same with you, Kevin. Like you meet a surgeon and they're kind of dressed in a suit and they're, they're kind of very distant in lots of ways. Yeah. But Fiona's 
um, bedside manner is quite different. I mean, she would often come in on the weekend with her kids trailing along behind her. You know, she'd be in her gym gear or she'd been for a cycle, so she'd be in a cycle gear. And she'd be really kind of human and a, a real person and a real, you know, very comforting to those people. And I think that's what distanced herself a bit from, from other surgeons as well because they kind of felt that they had standards to, ma- to maintain, whereas she was very much on a human level. I mean, she would cry with the patient. She, she would celebrate with the patient in a way that sometimes you don't really see other doctors doing. Yeah, the uh, the stuff to shirt approach of some doctors and and professors, no less, is uh, yeah sometimes very intimidating for a patient. But she mm-hmm. she certainly doesn't have that aura about her whatsoever. No, I mean the patients told amazing stories about how far she'd gone to tr- to really try and help them. There were the parents of a, a young boy who had received terrible burns, and they were operating on him. And suddenly there was a power cut. And when you're operating on burns, the the, the the room, the theatre has to be very high temperature because otherwise infection can set in. So suddenly the temperature plunged and they were doing everything they could to try and keep this young boy warm. And she actually ended up lying on top of him to keep him warm. And I mean, it's, wow. I mean, she didn't tell me that story. The, the, the patient's parents told me that story and then she confirmed it afterwards. But, you know, for somebody to go that far... Um, you know, other doctors might have, have said, well, okay, I'm afraid, you know, we have to say farewell to him now. But she would do everything in her power to keep somebody alive and make sure that they had um, a worthwhile life. You know, she she always said, you know, we have to kind of consider people's quality of life and we have to make the pain of survival worth the quality of living. And um, so I think, you know, that that was quite exceptional behaviour as well, really. Sue, as a writer and uh, someone who's done books on on other people of uh, quite high profile in the past, how did how did you find uh, this experience from from your point of view, and what what did, what did you take out of it? Um, I found it absolutely fascinating. It's a world that I'm not very familiar with, um, but you know, Fiona's humbleness was a real problem. <laughs> you know, I. <laughs> I'd have to talk to so many other people to get the great stories and then come back to her and then she would kind of say, oh, well, yeah, actually, I, I didn't tell you about that. But gradually, as we went through the process, she became a bit more trusting mm. and then she started opening up and then it was easier. But I've always felt with other people, they're, they're quite keen to tell their stories and, um, you know, always there's controversy and there's always things that perhaps don't reflect so well on them, but at least they would they would be much more keen to come forward. I mean, I think it's only just after the book was finished, you know, we were going through it and just checking everything um, line by line. And um, I think it was only at that point that she started really relaxing. She's just uncomfortable with all this attention, which is weird when you think, you know, that she received Australian of the Year, as you said, in 2005. And I, I think she found that really difficult too. But that was just one year. But now the book's come out. You know, she's having to face all that um, public focus all over again, and she she doesn't she doesn't take it very easily. Really, yeah. she loves going to conferences and talking on stage about research, but when it comes to talking about her own life, um, she finds it very difficult. I think we had the launch the other day in Perth, and I was amazed how nervous she was. But um, she only relaxed when she started talking about her research. 
Some, <laughs> and some, then I would guide her back to her personal <laughs> life. Some people are kind of obsessed with their own version of what happened. It appears to me that she isn't isn't all that uh, concerned about that because she knows what happened and, and she's comfortable with that. Yep, that's absolutely right, yeah. I mean, when I, I talked to other surgeons about her, <clears throat> some of them, many of them were incredibly admiring and a few of them were a little bit dismissive. Yeah. And um, when she heard about that, she was saying, "Well, she was saying, well, look, you know, they're entitled to their opinions, absolutely." Whereas, in my experience, in biographies, when other people, the focus of a, a biography, get, gets bad publicity, they kind of say, "Oh, do we need to put that in? Could we maybe take it out?" Yeah. And you always say, "Well, no, no, it needs to go in because we need to get a full picture." But she never actually said, "Oh, I don't think we should mention that." She was always kind of like, well, that's how they feel and uh, they're entitled to, to how they, what they believe, really. So oh, that was quite refreshing in lots of ways. I would assume the only area where she probably might have been a bit touchy was, was her kids and her, her husband? Yep, that's right. I mean, the husband, yep, it was a difficult area, but we did talk about him and we talked a little bit about their relationship and, and how supportive he's always been. Um, and it's kind of quite handy, I suppose, having another doctor in the house. Um, although she, she talked about one time, one of her children, when, when they were very small, poured a cup of coffee off a, the breakfast table all down him. And she immediately went into crisis mode and rushed into the shower, doused him in the shower, ripped off his clothes, doused him in, in cold water, or kind of just tepid water. And um, and her when Tony came in, he said, what's happening? Because the little boy was screaming because he was so uncomfortable. He was frightened. He didn't know what was happening. And she was saying, well, you know, he just poured a cup of hot coffee on him on himself. And Tony said, no, 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 stop. That was cold coffee from the night before. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, so yes, I mean, you know, you kind of, if you're involved with burn surgery, I'm sure you're kind of incredibly aware of every single instance that might lead to a burn. But having Tony there was probably quite a good settling influence at some time. <laughs> uh, how did she feel about Rachel Griffith playing her in the, uh, in the miniseries? Yeah, I think she was kind of flattered um, because Rachel Griffith is obviously a great actor. But um, she kind of watched a, a few scenes and then decided she wouldn't watch anymore because she didn't She didn't really like the way she was portrayed, I suppose. I mean, it's interesting. I've watched the first two episodes and it's a really different character to the one that I know. Um, and I think, you know, the, the company was at pains to say that it's a dramatization rather than a documentary, of course. But Rachel Griffiths plays Fiona as kind of like a very sort of staid, quiet, serious person, whereas Fiona is actually pretty vivacious. You know, she can be very calm in an emergency, but she's really kind of lively and a vibrant personality. Yeah. And I, I think, sadly, that's a little bit lost. Yeah. I mean, I think Fiona just kind of looked and thought, oh, no, this is making me too uncomfortable. I just don't want to look anymore. I, I thought it was a little bit missing some of Fiona's spark. But, yeah. you know, it's an interesting look at the Bali bombings, although having met so many of the, the survivors, I think a lot of them won't be watching it because even though it's been 20 years, they still find the experience so raw and so difficult. And, I, and some of the scenes are quite graphic, and I, I think they found that quite hard to take. I read uh, one article in the weekend uh, that said that uh, Fiona won't read the book. Well, she clearly obviously has. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I think it was just, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe she made a joke about she didn't want to read the book, really, yeah. and uh, the writer of that piece took it seriously. But, yes, she's been through the book line by line. 
I can assure you it was very painful. <laughs> but no, it was it was fine. Um, but she, yeah, she. Normally, I think she wouldn't like to read a book about herself, but you know, this is her official biography, so she had to read it, and um, she had to kind of just double check everything and make sure everything was fine because. Because you know she's a scientist, so yeah. you, you know how pedantic they can be, really. So yeah. um, we we went through everything very carefully um, many times. So um, yep, she certainly has read the book, but I don't think she will watch the whole of the of the miniseries <laughs> yeah. about her. <laughs> What's next for you, Sue? Um, well, actually, a complete change of direction. I've got another novel coming out in May oh, next okay. year. Um, I, I've written a historical novel before about. Elizabeth Macquarie and Elizabeth MacArthur, called Elizabeth and Elizabeth, and that did really well. It was kind of very different for me because I've always written non-fiction, but I've just written another, a second historical fiction, this time about the daughter of William Bly, you know, um, former governor of New South Wales, yep. and um, Mutiny on the Bounty um, villain, really. And uh, his daughter came over with him, Mary, um, and became the first lady because his wife didn't want to come over. And, um, yeah, she, she was quite a spectacular woman. When the Rum Rebellion happened and the, the armed troops marched on Government House, um, William Bly was upstairs in Government House sorting out his papers, or some say he was hiding under a bed. <laughs> but she was out at the front gates with her parasol trying to beat the, the soldiers back. So <laughs> oh, I kind of thought, mate. oh, this is another woman I, I really want to get to know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Fiona Wood is described as a national living treasure and your book is a befitting testament to what she's achieved up until now. So congratulations on the book and good luck for the future. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate it. My thanks to Sue for her time and uh, what a book it is. It's a terrific book and a great insight into a great Australian, Fiona Wood. I'm sure you're thoroughly going to enjoy that if you're looking for some uh, reading over the Christmas holiday period. Uh, you won't uh, do much better than this particular book called Under Her Skin. My thanks to Sue for her time. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. Don't forget, of course, our fantastic podcast partners, that CSCG. Uh, on behalf of the team there, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And they look forward to having a chat to you at some stage soon about your financial goals for 2023 and how they can help you achieve them. Give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website. That's uh, cscg.com.au. Go back and enjoy some previous episodes of the podcast and find out about some fascinating authors and some terrific books. Wherever you found uh, this podcast, that's where you'll find them. Might be something to catch up on over the holiday period. I look forward to your company again for the next Authorised Podcast. Until then, go and read a book. It's good fun. Mm-hmm.